So, you know, as I was, uh, I was reading our psalm for today and thinking about uh, how to kind of work our way into uh, this week's text in light of all the crazy, uh, turbulent stuff that uh, is going on in the world and, you know, knowing that we were going to be celebrating a national holiday like Veterans Day earlier in the week, um, what actually came to mind when I was doing that was that old line that goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, and I think that's kind of a useful metaphor for us as we come to the waning weeks of 2020, because in case you hadn't noticed, a whole lot of things have changed over this past year, uh, and some maybe permanently so, and, and it kind of uh, puts you off balance, at least it, it does for me. Uh, in fact, one author uh, described this feeling saying, we're living in an age of cultural vaporization where all that once seemed solid now melts into thin air, where things that used to be a part of our cultural furnishings just seem to disappear, and we're left with, he said, if you will, the presence of an absence. And so he says we start looking around for something solid to land on, somewhere to stand when life doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, and that sounds just about right for this year we've gone through, doesn't it? Uh, except when I tell you that paragraph was written right around 1860. Uh, proving that no matter how unhinged our present reality may seem, God has brought his people through uh, times the same or, or worse, and so we have every reason for hope that he can and will do it again today. Uh, and that's really where Psalm 118 comes in, because uh, it, it's the song of a people who recognize the faithfulness of the Lord to their ancestors, uh, and the confidence that that knowledge gave them uh, to get through whatever life threw their way, uh, and how that can really basically be our hope right now. And so I, I hope you'll join me in the book of Psalms. If you're reading through, we're in Psalm 118, and the psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, and they went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. And give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God our Father, you have caused your... Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, and so uh, grant us today, Lord, so to hear them by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we may embrace and hold fast to the blessed hope that you've given us in them, uh, the hope of new life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, you know, remember, uh, you know, we're looking at that section of the Psalter known as the Hallel, that section that we said runs and, and, and spans from Psalm 113 through 118, and uh, and these Hallel Psalms, remember, are the hymns designed to be sung at the three sacred feasts of the Torah, the Feast of Passover and of Pentecost and of Tabernacles. The feast, remember, we said that every Jewish male was required to attend annually in Jerusalem. And today's Psalm 118 uh, is of particular importance because its primary use at those sacred observances was to focus the people's attention on the redemptive hope that they had in the promise of a coming Messiah. Uh, it, it, was, it was musically performed by the Levites during worship when they celebrated Pentecost. Uh, it was read by families throughout the Feast of Tabernacles as they spent time inside those temporary shelters uh, that the people used to recall their time of traveling in the wilderness at the Exodus. Uh, and it was sung by the people all through the Passover season. They sung it as they came in to the city for Holy Week. They sang it as their lambs were being sacrificed in the temple for the Seder meal. <clears throat> and they sang it again when the meal was over, uh, singing, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And, and just by way of a, a little uh, historical context here, uh, Psalm 118, we know, was originally testifies to the celebration of the Jews after the second temple was rebuilt. And we actually find that according to Nehemiah chapter 8, and you can read that for homework later. Uh, but it was, it was about 586 B.C., uh, and the Jewish people were kind of a mixed-up uh, culture and civilization in flux, almost like we are today. Uh, because if you remember 70 years Prior to that, God had removed the people from the promised land for their idolatry and for their wickedness uh, and sent them into captivity in Babylon where they became a lost society. Uh, the majority of the people who were deported in that first wave uh, actually died in exile and never got to see the land again. And so Psalm 118 is of the era where their Jewish children who had gone into captivity uh, with their parents are now the elders leading the effort to go back and rebuild the temple. Uh, and and as, as one commentator described it, to experience a truly resplendent resurrection of a civilization and a faith that had previously been considered dead. So that's why Psalm 118 begins with that really 
uh, ecstatic burst of worship sung as the builders laid the foundation stones of the temple. Uh, and, and they called out, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Uh, and we know that happened. We know that to be true historically because the book of Ezra says so. Remember, we always interpret Scripture by other Scripture. Uh, Ezra says, And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, and saying, For He is good. For steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. Uh, and then Ezra tells us, All the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Guys, can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine what that moment would have felt like after a lifetime of oppression uh, at the hands of godless men? And so they sang, uh, in the words of our psalm, say, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. Uh, the King James, if, if you're looking at that, renders it, the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Uh, and you could actually translate it and render it directly from the Hebrew uh, as he answered me in expansiveness. Uh, or, or as we might say in modern day terms, God answered us big time. Right? Uh, but also, as we've seen before, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, was it? Uh, because even though this was a time of real growth for the people of God, it was also a time of intense persecution. Does that sound familiar at all? Uh, and even though we don't uh, ever, ever want to go looking for it, even though we don't ever wish for it, uh, for persecution, the truth is that the church of God has always grown the most underneath it. Uh, and so, because of that, the next eight verses of Psalm 118 reflect on the discouragement and the pain and the distress that the Jewish people endured as they began that process of rebuilding the temple uh, verses 8 and 9 speak of seemingly endless bureaucratic delays. Imagine that, right? Uh, that, that came because of political agitators who sent protesters to harass them till the work had to stop. Uh, because if you remember, although the, the building started under one leader, it started under Cyrus the Great, it wasn't until Darius the Mede came to power that they actually uh, were allowed to resume. Uh, not, not to mention all the pushback they got from the surrounding pagan culture. Uh, cementing a lesson that's just as true today as when that was written, uh, that for us as believers, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Uh, and that even more than that, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Because, you know, even through all of the trials and discouragement that came their way, uh, the Lord delivered His people so they could accomplish His will. Uh, that will of resettling the holy city and rebuilding the temple as the stage that would see the advent of the long-awaited Messiah who they knew God had promised to send to rescue them both spiritually and physically. And so the, the psalm continues and says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And, and this section of the scripture actually raises uh, this psalm to a higher level because when our Jewish brothers and sisters quote that verse in the Passover Seder, even though they're not aware of it, they're just not only seeking national recovery but personal redemption, even though they missed it completely when it came. Uh, but, but from here through uh, the rest, uh, from verse 14 on through the end of the psalm, the thrust is really strongly messianic uh, because we, we've talked about this before. Uh, that last word that you see there that was in the, the text, salvation, is what? It's the Hebrew word Yeshua. It's Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? What's his name mean? God saved, yeah. 
God's means God literally means God saves. The same word, the same name that the angel Gabriel told to a young couple from Bethlehem to give to their firstborn son, which makes such a beautiful double meaning to Psalm 118.14 because there's a very real sense, guys, in which the psalmist is saying prophetically, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my Jesus. He has become my Jesus. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist foresaw the ultimate rescue that we have in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Christ who makes that unique and exclusive claim of being the way and the truth and the life. Not one among many. Not a way. But the one and only. The one and only way. That's why Psalm 118 goes on to say, Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go into them. Because you see, these are our specific kind of gate. They're not just any old ordinary portal by which to enter into God's presence. And they are the polar opposite of what the world expects them to be because they are not the gates of race. And they are not the gates of privilege. And they are not the gates of wealth. And they are not the gates of popular opinion or any of the other things that our world holds in such high regard. But they're gates that only can be accessed by the righteous. And church, there's only one way to get that way. There's only one way to become righteous, and it's to become one of those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, have any of you guys ever traveled to Italy? Anybody? Okay. There's a real beautiful example of this, kind of a 3D example of this, at the Duomo de Milan. Uh, there are these three huge gates are, are leading into the cathedral. If you've been there, you've seen this in person. Over one gate to the left, uh, over top of the gate, there's an inscription that says, the things that please are temporary. Uh, and over the opposite gate, on the opposite side, there's an inscription that reads, the things that disturb us are temporary. But over the, the central entrance to the main part of the cathedral, there's a big inscription saying, eternal are the important things. Eternal are the important things. So it's a great reminder to us in this time of rapid and almost breathless change in this country how we need to listen to the words of Psalm 118 and look back on the times in Scripture when God rescued His people in the past uh, and then by faith place our hope and trust in the future day when the Christ, the Messiah, will truly, as we pray every single week, rule on earth exactly as He does now in heaven. Uh, and also, you know, praying in the words of that Psalm 24-7 that we read, you know, way back when we started this journey back in... Uh, what, 2018, June of 2018. Uh, we read, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The Lord Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who will establish His rule here on earth, uh, fulfilling very literally the prophetic words of our psalm today. <clears> this <throat> says, The stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. And you know, I'm always interested in history, so I had to know about this story. Um, you know, in that first generation of Jews that we mentioned, when they repatriated the Holy Land after they left exile in Babylon, when they got back there, they found utter ruin where their sacred place of worship had been. Uh, and the, the original blocks that had been crafted by King Solomon to construct it had either been hauled off and uh, repurposed back in Babylon or, or who knows where. Uh, or else they were dumped off in these big piles of uh, broken, chipped up, crumbling rubble. Uh, but rabbinic history says that, that one 
really perfect unchipped stone was rescued from the rock pile. Uh, the, the priests immediately marked it out for use as the first block to be placed when construction began. Uh, but the builders and the architects said, eh, not so fast. Uh, they, they weren't real keen on this particular stone for that pivotal spot. And so th this big, beautiful, golden-hued Jerusalem stone was, was pulled off the lineup and pushed aside. Uh, but the, the priests who were more mindful of the symbolism in it overruled the builders and insisted that no other piece could anchor the holy structure but that one particular stone. And so it became the head of the corner, uh, became the chief cornerstone. And it, and it turns out, even though all that happened through the agency of human beings, the truth is uh, that was literally and figuratively the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes because it points to Jesus. That's exactly the same picture the Apostle Peter was trying to evoke uh, in his inaugural sermon when he said in Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so if you think about it, that which the people refused, that they set aside, that they rejected, is become the most vital thing of all. Right? Just, just in the same way that the Almighty raised the the Jewish nation and their culture from death and restored the land and rebuilt the temple. In Jesus Christ, we have that same freedom and renewal along with the miracle of being reborn. Uh, reborn into a living hope of a spiritual bodily resurrection in the future and eternal life with God uh, because of that pivotal foundational work on the cross. But church, that offer is conditional. It's conditional on being led by the Holy Spirit to call out in the words of Psalm 118 today, save us, we pray, O Lord, save us. And the, the Psalms connection just keep going because when we move forward and actually get to the time of Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem at Holy Week, that's the line from today's Psalm that the people were shouting. That's what they were singing as they were waving their palm branches, remember on Palm Sunday. And as they're laying down their coats in front of Jesus for, for him to ride in on his donkey, and they're calling out, remember, Hosanna, save us. Save us, we pray. Deliver us, son of David. Uh, and they're making a prayer of deliverance for the Messiah to come. And, you know, humanly speaking, while the crowd may have recognized, at least at the beginning of the week, uh, that Jesus may be the long-awaited earthly Messiah, what they didn't see, or perhaps what they refused to see, is the kind of king that he intended to be and how he was going to reign. Because save us isn't the last line of that psalm. If you keep reading, remember it continues, the Lord is God, he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice. Bind it with cords up to the horns of the altar. You see, the people cried out to be saved and God didn't ignore them. He sent them a savior, just not the one they expected. You see, they had... Uh, they, had, they saw Jesus and hoped he had come to set up a kingdom, but it wasn't the kind of kingdom that anybody was looking for because it was the kind of kingdom that required a sacrifice. And the people wanted to use Jesus as a means to an end, to overthrow the Romans and to give them lots of free stuff instead of an end in himself. 
And, and too often today, church, we tend to do the same thing. That's the lie out there of the health and wealth gospel that makes uh, all of that message little more than a repackaged get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, that seeks to turn Almighty God into some kind of cosmic vending machine whose primary purpose is to dispense stuff and prosper human beings and make their dreams come true and, and give them worldly victory. But the truth is that real triumph will not come through deception or manipulation or even in prosperity or political power, but through the sacrificial offering of Jesus' own life and by means of His blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood that brings home exiles, the blood that sets captives free spiritually and physically. Church, that's what Jesus came to do. Uh, and on that Palm Sunday, as he rode into the city to accomplish all of that, the Gospel of Matthew tells us in chapter 21, that the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered, saying, Who is this? Who is this, they asked. Who is this? That's the same question that people have been asking for the last... 2,000 plus years and on the surface it seems kind of simple because it could maybe just be a question of identification but it's so much more than that because it's the most critical question that you will ever be asked and everyone is required to answer it nobody's exempt so how do you answer it can you answer it correctly and don't forget how you answer it is important because your eternity is at stake is he a prophet? Is he a good teacher? Was he a fake? Or, or, or is he he's something much, much more? Is he perhaps the good shepherd? Right? Is he the king of kings? Is he the lord of lords? Uh, and, and you know what? None of those uh, answers really answer the question because the question is not so much who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And if you haven't answered that question, or if maybe you're just figuring out and learning that you haven't answered it correctly as you're sitting here in light of the truth of God's Word, I want to invite you to do that as we pray together in a minute, because uh, if you're here, you're not here by accident, and He's calling out to you through the preaching of His Word. Uh, and so now is the time. Today is the day, and you don't have to walk down the aisle, you don't have to raise your hand or do anything like that. Uh, you just very simply have to believe this book that's it uh, so how can you know jesus you ask well romans 10 9 tells us if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved uh, that's it it's that simple but guess what it's also that hard and no matter how the world changes that truth is never going to change so if you hear the Lord speaking to your heart today, uh, if you hear this morning, don't wait. Uh, tomorrow isn't promised. Receive him today and then tell someone that you did. Uh, find someone and tell them, now, now I know. Uh, I know I walked in here blind, but now I can see. I, I found peace. So you can know that even if our physical bodies get sick and die and pass away from COVID or cancer or cardiac arrest, that in the words of Psalm 118, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord may have disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death, even if our physical bodies cease to function. And then we can, can say to God, I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. You become my Jesus. You are my God and I'll give you thanks. 
You are my God and I'll extol you. Church, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank You for Your steadfast love in our salvation, in our Yeshua, in our Jesus Christ. And so we're so grateful, Lord, that we have the opportunity uh, here as brothers and sisters to hear that word and proclaim that word uh, and send that word out into the world. And we ask You, Father... Uh, if there's even one under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as your Lord and Savior, that uh, you would surprise them by the reality of your presence, that you would uh, call them, Father, out of this world, that you would uh, let them just hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and draw them to yourself. Father, we ask you to be with all of us and guard our hearts and minds as we go about uh, our week in this crazy, mixed-up world, uh, and bring us back again safely on the Lord's Day to give you thanks and praise. And we ask you all of these things through Christ. Amen.